Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Welcome to the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. Our favorite part of Trivia Night is the discussion that the questions spark and the connections that those conversations create. That's why our trivia players always show their work. They talk through the thought process behind each of the answers they will eventually give me as we go. So speaking of our trivia players, I'm joined today by the Last Call trivia team of DJ, Kelly, and Omen. And before we get started, something we do is a quick little warm-up to get everybody's brain working, and I'm going to ask the team to tell me something new that they've learned this week. And we'll start with Kelly. I'm very curious to know what Kelly has learned this week. Okay, well, I love candy. And one of the things that I've always wondered about is how it's weird that we recognize, for example, a cherry lifesaver or a cherry popsicle as being cherry flavored, when really it doesn't taste like what a cherry fruit tastes like in real life. But for banana flavoring, there is a reason why artificial banana flavor doesn't taste much like bananas. So the first synthetic banana flavoring dates all the way back to the 1850s, when the most popular banana was a variety called the Gros Michel. But in the 1950s, the Gros Michel banana variety was wiped out by a plague. And since that time, we've been eating Cavendish bananas, which became popular because they were immune to the plague, but they taste a lot different than the Gros Michel bananas. So if we could go back 100 years and eat a Gros Michel banana, we would find that it tastes a lot closer to the artificial banana flavor that we recognize today. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm, indeed. Never thought about it from the candy perspective. I did know about the once really great tasting banana, apparently, that we missed out on. Not <laughs> that, that is I'm now extinct. Against, yeah, I'm not against banana, the Cavendish. Not against the Cavendish, but I would not have mind a, a taste of the Gros Michel. So we indeed, if only uh, for comparison purposes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we grow Michelle. We we go from there to DJ, who's going to tell us something that he's learned this week. I was at one point in my life really obsessed with National Geographic. I loved the magazine. I inherited a really big collection of classic Nat Geos from the the forties and fifties, and really enjoyed reading through the the back catalogs. And I discovered something pretty interesting about the uh, the composition of Earth's water. And, and first of all, it's, it's a well-known fact that about 70% of the Earth's surface is covered in water, but only 0.007% of that water is actually usable. So only about 2.5% of that total amount of water is fresh water, and of that 2.5%, only about 1% of that is accessible to humans. 
So the rest of that fresh water is locked up in glaciers and snowfields. Yeah. So when you think about how how much water there is on the globe, but how little of it is is really readily accessible to humanity, it's kind of it, it's one of those moments where I just felt so small and insignificant and thirsty in, in parsing that. <laughs> and and you know what? There's a lot of saltiness out there. That much we know. All right, Omen. What about you, my friend? What are you going to tell us this week? Well, from salty to sweet, James, I live here in the sunshine state of Florida, and uh, and I, I recently found out that the, the state beverage of Florida, this may not shock you, is orange juice. But orange juice did not enjoy sort of national appeal until after the Second World War, because during the Second World War, all of our scientists were hard at work doing a lot of different things. But one of the things that they were doing was figuring out how to make concentrated orange juice. So it was thanks to World War II, tis an ill wind that blows no good indeed, as they say. Thanks to World War II, we now have the technology where we can concentrate the juice and flavor of oranges, ship it across the U.S., and then reconstitute it for your enjoyment. Wow. See, and, and here we have orange juice because of that. And nowadays, I think it's like shunned. You know, we see like not from concentrate. You know what I mean? Like it's not from concentrate. OK, so like yeah. we should be embracing the concentrate. But hey, you know what? That's what happens. All right. Look, in today's Last Call Trivia podcast, we will be challenging the team that you just heard from with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. See, our podcast show has two rounds of trivia there's three questions per round and then a bonus question in between the two rounds as well as a final question that closes things out before we dive in let's get some housekeeping out of the way a quick reminder to our listening audience that if you enjoy today's show please be sure to leave us a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice and if you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, visit lastcalltrivia.com for more ways to get your trivia fix. Let's start things off with round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ Kelly and Omen. They'll then have three minutes to discuss and decide on an answer. When you hear me say, Last Call, that means there's 30 seconds left. In addition to the team's answer, they also need to choose a point wager. The point wager options in round one are one point, three points, or six. You'll hear them give some cute little uh, alternate names to the point totals that you'll see. But they can give those wagers in any order, and they can use each wager only once per round. The idea being you save that six for an answer you're really confident in. The categories for round number one are people, characters, and literature. Ooh, Here's nice. the people question. You like the literature, huh? I like them all today. All this right, good. <laughs> people, characters, and literature. Here's the people one. In 2018, the town of Friedberg, Germany, installed three pedestrian traffic lights that incorporate a silhouette of famous poses by what musician who was stationed there during his stint in the U.S. Army? <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> Three minutes. Kelly on. is all shook up. I yeah, can tell. Yeah, I'm all I'm all shook up about this one. This is this is right up my alley. <laughs> can we get the year again, James? Yes, you can. As a matter of fact, the year is in 2018. The town of Friedberg, Germany, installed three pedestrian traffic lights, incorporating a silhouette of famous poses by what musician who was stationed there during his stint in the U.S. Army? 
And Omen will give you a hint that the stint in the army was was many, many, many blue Hawaii moons ago. <laughs> you know, listen, here's what I have to say to that. When I was in middle school, there was a, a high school production that my brother was peripherally involved with of a little show that I like to call Bye Bye Birdie. And I remember it distinctly because one of the set pieces fell down during the show. And I thought to myself, couldn't they have made that a little sturdier? But the whole story of the show is that this famous rock musician was being sent off to war. And I believe that it was a, a not-so-light-handed allegory about Elvis Presley was sent to war. And so I, I think it's probably about him in this regard. Uh, I believe it is. And a, a not so little known fact about my own life is I lived in Memphis where Graceland is for a period of time. And I actually wanted to be a tour guide at Graceland. But in that year, they launched the audio tour that Priscilla Presley narrates. And so there was a sudden decline in the number of tour guides. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, no, I'm serious. It really dashed all my hopes and dreams. But uh, I am I am very confident that the answer is Elvis Presley with his variety of poses that would be suitable and recognizable in silhouette. I, I will say that uh, I think my favorite media depiction of this scenario comes from the, uh, the biopic Great Balls of Fire, which stars Dennis Quaid as Jerry Lee Lewis. And the rivalry between Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis was pretty fierce at huh. this time. And they lived close together. Of course, they were on the same record label. And there was a lot of competition between the two of them. And when Elvis went off to war, he was concerned that Jerry Lee Lewis was basically going to take all of his fans. And for a time that happened. And the movie actually explores that. There's a good chunk of the film that uh, deals with it. But it's uh, Dennis Quaid as uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Winona Ryder as his 13-year-old cousin, Myra Gale, whom he marries. Oh, my God. Shall we put... Six gyrating hips on Elvis Presley. Six balls of fire. Six sequ- No, that's Jerry Lee Lewis. I, I know, do, but it's still uh, it still six fits. Sequin jumpsuits on uh, on Elvis. Indeed. Six six residencies in Vegas. Let's, How about that? Let's do it. All right, so we are going to put six points on this one. The question, people in 2018, the town of Friedberg, Germany, installed three pedestrian traffic lights that incorporate a silhouette of famous poses by what musician who was stationed there during his stint in the U.S. Army? You guys say for six points, Elvis Presley. The answer, Elvis Presley. Oh, thank you very much, James. <laughs> nice. I like that. I see. I was hoping somebody would give me that one. All right. Uh, and actually, I will let you know that Elvis, by the way, served in two different army battalions, one in Fort Hood, Texas, which is not as germane to the question, but in Germany from 1958 to 1960. So that was about three to five years after he'd become a star. Again, in reference to the whole Bye Bye Birdie premise. All right. That takes us to characters. Here it is, team. Swifty. Blob, Bump, Scooter, and Bravo are just a short list of the many names within what famous animated group? Three minutes on the clock. Swifty. Well, there's a lot of blank faces right now. (laughs) Can we hear the names again, James? Sure thing. Swifty, Blob, Bump, Scooter, and Bravo. Just a short list of the many names within what famous animated group? These all sound like street terms for various types of STDs. <laughs> do, do you know an animated series wow. that, that's based on that premise, Omen? Hmm. Definitely be on Adult Swim. The I'll Many Adventures of Gonorrhea. Yeah. Clearly <laughs> an ABC Saturday morning classic. Wow, what animated group? Okay, well, 
animated groups that I would think about. I, I don't recognize those as the names of any Smurfs. Um, mm. I know that they're like Animaniacs, that there are a so, lot of those, but I don't recognize so those I'm either. gonna. I'm going to throw this out there. There is a there's a, a very popular animated group. I think it's Korean in origin called Hololive that is like super popular on YouTube and and crazy. It, it's basically it's real people but they have these animated avatars and they do all these performances and stuff. And the the phrasing of the question is what makes me think of Hololive because they're an animated performance group. This is not like it's it's not animated characters, right? The question wasn't a group of animated characters or famous characters from an animated show. It was specifically an animated group, mm. right? Do I have that right, James? That was in the question. You said animated group, we've members got, of an animated group. We've got the many names within what famous animated group. Could it? See? Okay, that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and I wouldn't refer to a lot of the shows that we recognize as an animated group, like you yeah. said. So Could it possibly be, I'm thinking of animated groups. Could it possibly be the gorillas? they have they famously they're a music oh. group but they perform as animated versions of themselves i'd buy that i yeah. mean those all that, that could easily be yeah. i buy that only because an animated group to me like makes me think of a musical group as right. opposed to a tv show or something like that and while i don't know the individual names of the gorillas i certainly recognize them as animated characters performing yeah. where people know the characters Last but not call. the humans Last call. Yep, so I'd, I'd go. I'd go I with the gorillas. It's, yeah, more likely to be gorillas because honestly, I've not heard of what DJ is referring to. So I think. Oh, Hollow Live is be... super, super, super well known. Like they have billions of followers around the world. They're crazy popular, Let's... especially among teens. But I would say the gorillas is probably more apt to be in this it context. Makes sense so I would go. The answer to the question. Let's put one. I throw a point on radio. The gorillas. Radio play of Happy on the gorillas, spelled with a Z. All right, the gorillas with a Z. Characters Swifty, Blob, Bump, Scooter, and Bravo are just a short list of the many names within what famous animated group? You guys say the gorillas. The answer 101 Dalmatians. Oh no! Sorry, I wouldn't have even thought of that. <laughs> That's very different than the gorillas, and I should have we should have clocked the many names. Yeah, 101, not just, yeah, how many group members could I did be? try oh. to dig in on that a little bit. I tried my best <laughs> to dig in on the many. But, uh, yeah, guys, I had no idea that the original 101 Dalmatians came out in 1961. Wow. Uh, actually kind of helped Disney break out of a box office slump following Sleepy Beauty. Sleeping, sleeping Beauty, I, I should say. I want to posit that that is so obscure because the vast majority of the 101 Dalmatians, I know that movie extremely well. Uh, the original animated one, I can recite most of it from memory, and they do not name the majority of them. The original 15, Pongo and Purdy have, get named, but the rest of them, I mean, th it's, that, that's, that pr props to the uh, writing team for pulling something wildly obscure. You've got to watch it with the subtitles on, DJ. That's where they put that, the names <laughs> in the titles. There you go. Well, it would have helped if one of the names was like Spotty. Spot. They, Spot is know, one of them. They, we, had, we had Blob in there. That's all I can say. Hey, Chance. Litter. Lucky. Lucky's the one that's always getting into trouble, and they have the most charming little accents. Yes, that's true. And, and I, I liked Lucky. All right, from Lucky to Literature. Here's question number three. Looking back to all that has occurred to me since that eventful day, I'm scarcely able to believe in the reality of my adventures. Is the first line of what Jules Verne novel? Oh my God, this question 
If I don't get this right, I am I'm resigning from the Jules Verne fan club. Can you read? Well, you'll certainly have to resign the presidency there, Omen. Can you can you read it again, James? I can. Literature. Looking back to all that has occurred to me since that eventful day, I'm scarcely able to believe in the reality of my adventures. The first line of what Jules Verne novel. So this narrows it down to Jules Verne novels that are written in the first person. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, which is not all of them. Some of them are not written That's in the right. first person. From the Earth to the Moon is written in the third person. Um, right. I, I, I think the, time the one machine... that sprang to mind is uh, Time Machines. H. G. Wells. Oh um, shoot! It's right. what sprang to mind was Journey to the Center of the Earth, but I can't remember if that. Was, I'm Does pretty that sure that was written in the first person. It is written in, in the one first person. Day though, like if they're talking about the the events of the day. Well, a lot of Jules Verne no- novels start like that, you know. It, it starts with yes. it starts with uh, I was aboard the Whatsits and here's the reason why and then we backtrack to you know the the preface and then and then we catch up with the story and then it goes on from there. So um, ones that I know are written in the first person are Journey to the Center of the Earth. Right. What about Ten Thousand Leagues Under the Sea? Twenty thousand leagues. Oh my goodness, Kelly. Sorry, is written, Kelly wasn't allowed in the in the fan club to begin with. Is written in the voice of <laughs> Professor Aranax and I think that's a very strong contender. Um, because so much of that story has to do with his feeling of not being able to ever express these incredible journeys because he's captive by the the mad and extremely fashionably dressed Captain Nemo. But didn't he also survive that when Captain Nemo was killed in the earthquake or underwater, whatever it yes, was, yes, and so yes. then he lived to tell the tale? Yes. So that makes sense to me. Um, otherwise, it could be, uh, let's see, uh, around the World in 80 Days is written from the perspective of Passepartout, but I don't think it's in the first person. And that definitely, I don't think what I don't think they would say like events of the day, since that clearly talks about a, a great Well, it does start with him being hired on by, uh, by Phineas Fogg. Last call. Mm-hmm. I would say it's 20,000 Leagues. I'm- I'll go with 20,000 Leagues. So long as it's clear, if it turns out to be Journey to the Center of the Earth, that was the first thing that <laughs> sprang to mind, and I am allowing myself to be persuaded otherwise. It's one or the other. It really is. Um, I- my, my vote's with 20,000, just because of the... The freezing and the story seem to match up. I think we should... I'm going along with we it. We should bet three giant tentacles... On 20, three Kraken. 20, but you're getting leagues. the meerkatiest of meerkat dances if it's journeying to the center of the earth. Three is your only remaining option, so you didn't have to worry about that one too much. We are going to go with three tentacles for literature. Looking back to all that has occurred to me since that eventful day, I'm scarcely able to believe in the reality of my adventures. The first line of what Jules Verne novel? You guys say, 20,000 leagues under the sea. The answer... Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> boom! Boom! Meerkat oh, dance. No. What did I say? What did I say? That's what wrong. What did I say? I allowed myself to be persuaded because I'm an agreeable fellow, much like the narrator of Journey to the Center of the you Earth. You allowed yourself to be persuaded by somebody who initially called it 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, I want to know what happens to Omen's membership in the Jules Verne Society. It's already sunk. They just ripped his card up in half. It sunk like the Nautilus. And actually, I believe the volcano they were shot out of in Italy was known as Stromboli. Yes, yes, yes. And the way they find out is they find a terrified child and they ask the child in several different languages, where are we? And finally the child stutters, Stromboli. 
All right, that takes us to today's bonus question. The rules for the bonus question are a bit different, and here's how it goes. The answer is always in the form of a number, an exact number. So the players probably won't know the exact answer, and that's okay. The idea is for them to give us their best guess. Always good to give a best guess. Put your best foot forward. At live Last Call Trivia shows, the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer win one bonus point. But since our trivia team is not playing against anyone else today, the writing team set a predetermined range that their answer must fall between for them, the team here, to get the point for the bonus question. Here it is. In miles... What is the average distance from the Earth's surface to its center? Wow. I think we could do the math on this. Yeah, because we, we know time. if we know the <laughs> circumference of the work of the Earth, right? We can we can do the geometry. Can we? It's a globe. Okay. What's the number? It's about twenty five thousand miles. Okay, you say twenty five. I'll go with that. It's yeah. about twenty five thousand miles in in circumference. Okay. So, so is the circumference pi r squared? That is. No, that's the area. Oh, that's area. Oh, so it's two pi r. How do I you all know these things? Correct. I believe. <laughs> okay, so I believe two I'm pi r math. is correct. Twenty-five thousand miles equals two pi r. So twelve thousand five hundred miles equals pi times r. And if I do twelve thousand five hundred, I'm just going to divide it by three, and that three point one four is four one twenty six forty one sixty. So four thousand one hundred sixty is the radius. So I would call, let's call that 4,200 because 25,000 is rounding. And are we looking, sure. are we looking for the radius or are we looking for a straight through to China? Apoc- well, the radius to the core. To the core. To the core. Yeah, to the yeah. core. I, I don't know that anyone should trust my math on this though. <laughs> Here's the annoying DJ, thing about the novel Journey to the Center of the Earth is that they do not <laughs> arrive at the center of the Earth. They get sort of like or not. Or any, anywhere really near No, it, no, they <laughs> just go frank. on a little jaunt and then they get spat yeah. out. Yeah, it's really more Minds of Moria fan fiction, Jules Verne edition. Yeah, pre-fan fiction. Yeah. So <laughs> so do we feel good about 2160, or do we feel like because we didn't... No, no, it's 4160. So DJ said uh, 4200. 4200. 4200 miles. Okay. I yeah. feel good and, about all and that. And I thought it was closer to 28,000 than 25,000. So upping it a little bit like accounts for that differential as well. So, yeah. All right. 4,200. All right, let's do it. In miles, what is the average distance from the Earth's surface to its center? You guys say 4,200 in terms of miles. And the answer is 3,959. So you guys okay, get close. you get the bonus point because you were <gasps> yes! in between 3,000 and 5,000 miles. Very oh, nicely done. Fantastic. Wow. I'm so well done. glad that my math didn't prove okay. to be embarrassingly well, disastrous. <laughs> And it's it's actually so it, James, am I correct? It's actually slightly less than twenty five thousand miles in circumference. That I round that's around up. It's like twenty four thousand and some change is the exact. Well, it depends where you measure it because it's, it's it does depend on where you measure it at the equator. At the equator is where the measurements commonly commonly done. Yeah, it's it's tw- narrower. Twenty four thousand nine hundred and one miles is the default answer that you will get nice. from various knowledge machines wow. pretty much right on right on target there that was very nicely done by you guys if, pretty, pretty if i was impressive. ever to be in some sort of like armageddon you know like we need like you know impressive 
geometry and math and science and all that kind of Please, stuff. Please, for the love of God, don't rely on us. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that brings us to... Abandon hope all ye who, us who rely to, on us. To round number two. Whether or not you're still hanging with us and holding on to hope, that's up to you. But the questions in the second round will be themed to a specific topic because today's theme is animal terms. Animal Ooh. terms. In this round, the point wager options have updated to either two, five, or seven points. And just like the first round, the team can only use each wager amount once. But they do have some higher options to work with here. And the categories for round number two are Latin origins, mythology, and groups. Again, with animal terms. <laughs> and if you hear that sort of level of excitement for Omen, you know it's lit as the kids say. So we'll go with... You know, it's it's likely that he'll misremember which Jules Verne novel that, it is. That, that's <laughs> very, very possible. And actually, we have been, during that bonus round, we were contacted by the uh, Jules Verne fan club, and the news is not promising, but I don't want to ruin the rest of the show for Omen, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Latin origins. What type of animal is related to the term ursine? Aww. Ooh, this one's... Okay, okay. So for everybody at home... I made a very poor attempt at conjuring a theme song for our little podcast. <laughs> and um, It was not a poor attempt. It was brilliant. I loved it. Bear with and us for a moment one, where, while DJ oh, reminisces. Oh, no. <laughs> and one of, one, of, one, of the, one of the lyrics had a, had a reference to a particular word. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't Ursine, but what was, po- what was in my head when I, when I thought of it was something that would, would be ursine or bear-like in in latin and it was um can you define her suit and so what was playing in my head was um you know can you define her suit because it's it's hairy like a bear um so the the line would have been can you define her suit our show is no mere trivial pursuit and that was that was the the rhyming couplet there so um i just i wanted to share this is a fun little closing the loop of that that line since everyone on the show has heard finally got that in because i love that theme song but also uh i can confirm that it is bear or bear like because the constellations ursa major and ursa minor ursa minor sorry are the big and little bear so yeah, well, bears. and and even if you didn't know those things, you could maybe in an extremely circuitous fashion get there from knowing the the name of the villain in The Little Mermaid, Ursula. That name is related to bears, and uh, but I thought she looked like an octopus. Well, yes, she did. But in a way, yeah. she's also very big and terrifying, like a bear. She's big bear energy. I would put uh, how many seven. seven? I think we should put California seven grizzlies. berries on. Bear. All right. Should we lock that one in? Yes, please. Yes. Let's do it. Latin Seven hairy berries on bear. Seven of those hairy guys. Okay. Her sweet. Yeah, here we go. Latin origins. Her suit, I should say. What type of animal is related to the term ursine? You guys say for seven points, bears. The answer, bears. Woo. Hello. Very nicely done. Ah. I wanted to make a bear noise, but I realized I didn't really know what kind of noises they made. When I <laughs> when I spent a significant time in the Adirondacks, uh, you would often see claw marks surprisingly far up trees, and you you always knew the further up the tree that the claw marks were, the more large the bear was standing on its hind legs and and uh, so waiting to pounce down on top of you below. Often they were terrifyingly large, and if the Latin. Ursus is bear, the Greek is Arctos, and some scholars believe that's where the word Arctic 
comes from. So all kinds of uh, connection to those bears when we get into it and uh, the words behind it and so on and so forth. All right. That takes us to mythology. And the question here is similar to a term for a baby animal, but spelled differently. What was the Roman equivalent of a satyr from Greek mythology? Three minutes on the clock. Can you say, okay. can you read all that once more, James? Absolutely. Similar to a term for a baby animal, but spelled differently. What was the Roman equivalent of a satyr from Greek mythology? So is a satyr the head of a, uh, or the, the, the top torso and head of a human male and the yes. bottom of a, goat. of a horse or a goat? Goat, goat specifically. Yes. So is that, a, it... is that a centaur? No. No. No, because no. A, that's, that's, horse. A sa- that's a horse and a man. A satyr is bipedal. Walking yeah, on two legs bipedal. or two hooves. Oh, like Pan. so? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, if it's if it's the term I'm thinking of, this is Mr. Tumnus in um, oh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis used the Greek term to describe him, and that is in large part because C.S. Lewis intentionally wrote the Chronicles of Narnia to be specifically a Christian mythology. He actually articulated it as such. He was in a, a writing group uh, called the Inklings with J.R. Tolkien and a couple of others. And J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his books specifically not to be an allegorical uh, mythology. It was just a series of fiction fiction books. And C.S. Lewis was like, well, that doesn't truck with me, sir. So he set out to write a specifically religious allegory in the Chronicles of Narnia as the result. So Mr. Tumnus, being a reference to the Greek, uh, was a fawn, was a fawn, which is also the name of a baby, a baby animal. animal. Oh, yeah. my gosh, of course. I feel very confident about that based on your description. I think that we should put... Five Revels of Bacchus on the term fawn. After which you might need five tum nusses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. I'm yes, just going to let that one hang there for a couple seconds and take that answer, and we'll go with it for yeah, let, five Let DJ points. enjoy himself well, as he is for a few minutes. Like a, like a baby animal, just uh, like a baby meerkat. Just I moving was hoping one of the questions would be about meerkats. <laughs> well, you know, we still have one left. All right, let's stick to this one first. Mythology, similar to a term for a baby animal, but spelled differently. What was the Roman equivalent of a satyr from Greek mythology? You guys say for five points, a fawn. The answer is a fawn. Yes. And nice. uh, yeah, that's right. Not to be confused with F-A-W-N which if the old Disney movie we had been talking about was Bambi would have made sense. By the way, uh, Kelly, in terms of aging things and like, you know, things throwing me off in that respect. Did you know that Bambi came out in 1942? I think I did know that because a lot of those Disney movies that are classic are are a lot older than we think they are. Yeah, But they still kind of stand the sense of time. James, they they do. What's the what's the Greek uh, spelling, or rather, what's the spelling of the of the mythological fawn? F A U N. That's correct. Spelling is an oppression which I cast off long ago. Yeah, (laughs) and that's why you're no longer a member of the Jules Verne Society, there, sir. Yep. and yeah, we were going to try to break that to him a little bit later, but that's okay. He knows now. Uh, groups, groups, much like the Jules Verne fam club, uh, groups is the category here. When in groups, what aquatic animals are known as a raft in water and as a waddle on land? So I th- mm. think I know half of this. And no, DJ, I don't think it's meerkats, even though you're doing the dance. Yeah, they're non-aquatic. Um, I've <laughs> so I'm definitely not sure about the, the second half because it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but I do know that 
Sea otters, for example, when they sleep at night, they sleep with their arms linked together so that they don't separate right. during the ocean current. And therefore, the impression that they give, if you were to look at them from afar, makes it look like a raft. So I think a group of sea otters in the water is referred to as a raft. I'm not sure how much they waddle on land, but raft makes sense to me for otters. Well, the key of this question is that it is an animal which exists significantly both in the water and on land. Like, Well, there's sea otters and the river otters, and river otters are primarily on land, while sea otters are admittedly mostly in the sea. Right, but there are also uh, penguins, seals, walruses, selkies, mudskippers, landfish. There are. <laughs> and any of those could be, could be candidates. Okay, but which of those might make sense to, be, to form a raft? Well, I think that anything a mammalian, like a, a seal or a, or a sea lion, I was thinking more from the waddle perspective. I was thinking that a, that a penguin is the most waddleish of land-based creatures. Mm, walruses look like they waddle, too, when they move kind of like this. It could be either one, really. My first instinct was, was penguins. Uh, DJ, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, my first instinct was penguins, too, because you, you literally say penguins waddle. So a waddle of penguins sounds accurate. A, a raft, of, a penguins, raft though, of penguins, though, when they're in the water, I yeah, doesn't sound right. Yeah, my hesitancy there is I don't feel like penguins go in a group that looks I like would, a raft. I would allow myself to be persuaded <laughs> once again. Do, should you, though, based on the recent tragedy of the Nautilus? Uh, yeah, based on, on 10,000 leagues alone, I think you should you know, trust me, even though Omen, I'm... Omen, I'm blaming you like... for the last one, so Kelly still gets oh. still Kelly still gets a mulligan she's, she's oh, yes. this episode. Okay, well, I, I can lose my mulligan on this one when I say I, I really feel like otters form a raft. I'm, I'm, I'm good with a raft of sea otters. I will... And can you picture river otters when they, like, play and they go down the bank and they're kind of like, doom, 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 doom. That's like a... That's a waddling. I, I, I don't know. I, I think just... that most... They are... They're kind of waddling. I, I will go with it. I will say, as a dissenting opinion, I think that most of the Mastellids have, have more aggressive uh, group names. But... I will go with the otter answer. I don't know if I want all of this pressure on me. <laughs> no, it's all on right. you, Kelly. It's, it's, it's too late all now. on you. The pressure is on Kelly here. Let's put pressure. two abalones right. on sea otter. All right. We focus in on Kelly. We, we get ready here with groups. When in groups, what aquatic animals are known as a raft in water and as a waddle on land? You guys say otters for two points. The answer... Penguins. Oh, no! these no! feet are not happy. And once again, <gasps> the original instinct is what we should have gone with. And uh, penguins. DJ, all... this is your episode. This is like we always should have listened to you for this episode. I was so sure about otters forming a raft. Morgan James, Freeman is rolling in his grave. All, all I can tell you is, or that, he will uh, be someday. My goodness, don't put that out into the universe, Owen. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, he's certainly. Not doing that. Um, but penguins are also Sorry, God. notable for their tuxedo <laughs> look, which is known as counter shading in terms of camouflage properties. Because when swimming and when they're a raft, uh, the black on their backs helps them blend in looking down uh, predators that are looking from above. And then the white bellies that they have helps them blend in with the bright surface of the ocean when predators look up from below at them. So that's a counter shading camouflage. I've been working on my counter shading. Can you tell? I have. It looks very, very good, Omen. Nicely Thank done. You. All right. So that takes us to our final question of the game. And it's a multi-part question. It's also the only question today that our team can lose points on. 
See our trivia team can decide to wager either five or zero points on the final question. Once I give them the question, they get a chance to, you know, think about it and then decide if they want to wager or not. But they do have to get every portion of the final correct in order to earn points. And it's a multi-part question. If they miss any portion of the final, they lose what they wagered. So they could lose the five points. And since it is a multi-part question, I'll give them five minutes to decide on their answer. But before we get to that, I'm going to get the trivia team some knowledge of their own here where we let them know what their average final score has been up until this point so that they can take that into consideration when deciding on their wager and whether or not they want to try to beat their average score. Through the first 26 games that we've already completed to this point, the trivia team's average final score is 20.3 points. And that's out of a total possible 30 points. Right now, your score is 19 points. So be sure to keep that in mind when you're deciding on your final wager. And yes, DJ, we know what it would have been if we had listened to you. <laughs> the final- James, for, the, for, the, for those keeping score at home, can we get a quick uh, check-in on what it would be had the uh, the team in the Spider-Man alternate to, reality to of this, where DJ? Thank, thank you. Is yes, exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I believe that you guys will be clocking in at I think twenty-four, if my math is is right here. That's my that was my uh, my belief as well. One, All right. Well, noted. If we bet the whole shebang, then we'll make it up to your oh, intended boy. score, won't we? All right. So. All right, so then the pressure's back on you, Kelly. All right, good. Good to know. Uh, no, it's on DJ. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> people, here it is. People is the category. Place the following people in order of their net worth as of March 10th, 2022, from highest to lowest. The following people in order of their net worth as of March 10th, 2022, okay. from highest to lowest. Here they are. A, Bill Gates. B, Elon Musk. C, Jeff Bezos. And D, Warren Buffett. And again, you guys get five minutes to ponder those billionaires. Oh, man, should we just should we just let DJ answer this? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I listen to the Marketplace Morning Report in the shower every morning. And oh, I didn't mean because we didn't know. I meant because we're, you know, deferring to him because this is his episode of getting every question oh, right. Oh, in so that I case, yes, like... yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if I recall correctly, well, as of March, it would be Elon Musk, number one, Jeff Bezos, number two, Bill Gates, number three, Warren Buffett, number four. And I realize that's not a lot of discussion, but I, I will say, so so Elon Musk has been in the news quite a bit recently because he's being accused currently of stock manipulation, a frequent accusation, quite frankly, that he's been accused of for, for a number of years and in, in different venues. He's also accused of pump and dumping on cryptocurrency. Mm. So uh, pretty consistent trend there. But he is, as of March... 2022 reported as the world's wealthiest human being. Yeah. Jeff Bezos who I actually on an episode that I that I just listened to that we did was uh had purchased the Washington Post and that was a previous trivia question. He's number 2. He and, and Elon have been vying for the number 1 spot back and forth for quite a and while. DJ, here's last a, year. Here's a fun fact. You, he was number 1. You've actually met uh Jeff Bezos, haven't you? 
true story. I, I have a picture with him. I, I met him uh, here in Seattle in uh, 2014. He sent you a handshake via a drone, if I recall correctly. I was delivered <laughs> actually to his house by drone, which was a remarkable experience. Yeah. So I'm not in any way, shape, or form questioning the the knowledge of DJ. But my only um, caveat or question is, does the ranking of Jeff Bezos include the divorce settlement? Because clearly his net worth went down with the divorce from Mackenzie and the fact that she got whatever great percentage of his wealth did that affect these standings at all i think that's a very good point but i think that that is good that point. was a, several years ago i don't that would have already taken effect significantly before 2022 and as we know over the two years of the pandemic amazon has had end-on-end bumper years as everyone has been stuck at home furiously ordering things for themselves well and to my recollection the reason why he's no longer the wealthiest person on earth is because of the divorce settlement but he's so fabulously wealthy that it basically knocked him down to number two, as opposed to, to taking Even him off Even losing the half of it only knocks him down to number two. That's how rich Crazy, he was or is. He, okay. he, was 100, he was a 100 billionaire prior to the, the divorce or on the trajectory to be one, um, and which is just an insane amount of wealth. Yeah. Um, my only question is about Warren Buffett versus Bill Gates, and I don't have any thoughts at all, in general, my head is an empty, inky black cosmos, much like the infinite reaches of space that Jeff Bezos wants to shoot himself into. Is, is it an empty vase, like on Friends? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just wonder, those are the two that, that I'm like, I, I really don't have a good handle on which of them might be ahead of the other. Right. But I trust your judgment. And I think that given that DJ has been right on everything so far, we should trust his answer and his decision on whether or not to wager the five points. That should be entirely on him. I think in this this case, we should take the journey to the center of DJ's intellect. (laughs) That's a scary place that no one wants to go. We'll be rocking it out somehow. Not even Jules Verne. I'm I'm betting, I I say we bet the five points. Um, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. I go there. In that order. I do it. I sign on. I sign on. All right. James, the keys have been turned. We're doing it. We're countdown to blast off. Let's go ahead and and put that one in there. All right. So, guys, what I said was place the following people in order of their net worth as of March 10th, 2022, from highest to lowest. The way I gave it to you was Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett. Your answer in terms of, again, highest to lowest net worth was Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett. The answer, correct. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett. So you guys get those five points. Very nicely done. Elon Musk. The founder of Tesla and SpaceX checks in at 220. He is not the founder of Tesla. That is a common misconception, but I'm afraid I cannot let it stand. He came into Tesla. He was not the founder. All right. Well, the CEO of Tesla, we shall say, 223 billion. Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame. Again, he is no longer the CEO. 178 billion. Bill Gates, Microsoft, 127 billion. And then the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett. 116 billion so uh certainly bunched closely together there nicely done so you guys get those bonus points and your total checks in at when it's all said and done 24 out of a total possible 
30 points. So yes, can DJ, I just... we know it would be 29 if we had listened to you. <laughs> Everybody knows. But I just, just wanna... what you thought you would be at, 24. So no harm, no foul, right? All right, look, thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in for the show. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode posted on your various social media platforms. And if you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com and check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. Because we'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Until then, stay curious. Now that we're in the post-show roundup, um, I do want to point out that uh, the fabulous, unimaginable wealth of people like Bezos and, uh, and Mr. Musk is nothing in comparison to the absolutely mind-shattering wealth of people like uh, Roman Emperor Augustus, who owned, who personally owned the entirety of Egypt and was valued at something equivalent to $4.6 trillion. Mm-hmm. And named and, there, and named a month after himself. There were several actually. There, there were several kingdoms in Africa throughout history whose kings were because of the the way that their their kingdom you know existed and and was structured as we would think of it. Uh, they they literally owned everything and and essentially had vassals you know that that brought them tribute. Well, sure. Were tr- multi multi trillionaires themselves in in a relatively small area of land because of the fabulous resources over which they held control. I forget the name of the gentleman, but the king of of Timbuktu had so much gold that when he took a casual trip to North Africa, he essentially ruined the economy of every country he right. passed through because he just literally gave away hundreds right. of thousands of kilos worth of gold and it just so, destroyed everything around him. I couldn't That's... remember the order of the folks that we just talked about, but I do remember reading kind of a fun fact recently that was tied to Bill Gates and his wealth, which was, imagine that you made $1 every second. How long do you think it would take you to match the current wealth of Bill Gates. I remember the years. So if you if you right. take a guess, it, I'll, it, I'll tell you if you're right or not. It's something it's something equivalent to from the very dawn of time up to up through the the Jurassic period or something like that. Well, if you were going to say from the dawn of time being the birth of Christ, you would be uh, closer. But yeah, if you made a dollar every second, it would take two thousand nine hundred twenty-one years to match the wealth of Bill Gates. And I, hey, I'd be happy making a dollar a minute, let alone a dollar a second. Like that's, that's crazy. I mean, it kind of just makes you like put it into perspective, like the, just the enormity of the wealth. The name of the, so, of the, of the African ruler about whom we were speaking was uh, Mansa Musa. Yes, thank you. And I, I wanted to I wanted to come back to that because this is why I don't have Twitter, so I can't get flamed. But for anyone who's a gold bug and thinks of gold as having some kind of intrinsic value, this is my favorite example to prove that gold is just as much the belief-based value as fiat currency is because this is proof. The fact that he was able to, to spend gold so frivolously that it debased the value of gold literally everywhere he went gives lie to the belief that gold is somehow intrinsically valuable. It's not. It's no more intrinsically valuable than seashells or rocks. 
It's just we, you know, collectively believe that it has value and so it does. Fiat currency omen being currency that's issued by a government that has nothing behind it. It's not backed by anything. You can't redeem it for something physical or concrete. The, the term for that is fiat currency. But the truth of it is, and I actually teach this in financial literacy classes, that as long as the government issuing the currency can demand payment of taxes in that currency, the currency will always have some value, at least to subjects of that government, because that's how you pay your taxes. And what are the two immutables in life? Death and taxes. See, I got... Well, there you DJ, go. admittedly, I am a gold bug, and if I could go back to the gold standard, I absolutely would advocate that for America, but I will give you uh, the example of the famous Twilight Zone episode where oh, yes. folks are out looking for gold, and they're in the desert, and they somehow get trapped in time, and then they, they wake up in a future where gold has absolutely no value whatsoever, and the thing that is worth more than gold is water. Tying us back to your fun fact at the beginning of the episode. DJ, I was uh, I was excited because I thought that maybe you were talking about some new cryptocurrency released by the fiat company, to which I had some entitlement <laughs> due to my ownership of a 2017 Fiat 500 Abarth. No, but by virtue of owning a Fiat, you are in fact entitled to pay incredible repair costs as you take it to the <laughs> shop so they can fix it again, Tony. That's right. Well, I have a couple final thoughts before we close out here. One uh, is for Omen. Omen, what you said the whole 101 Dalmatians, what STD would Bravo be? <laughs> don't answer that. Bless you that you don't know, James. Bless you that you don't know. <laughs> okay. And then, DJ, you mentioned the song just because you want it out there. You want there to be, like, some listener who contacts us and says, oh, I want to hear that song. I want the podcast song. So that was a strategic move by you. And then... It's going to happen. Exactly. There's going to be a music video. <laughs> All right. This has been the show after the show on the Last Call Trivia <laughs> Podcast. Good night, everybody.